Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolu Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN welcomes efforts to bring stability in Lake Chad region and police investigate the killing of displaced people in Central African Republic. In economics news, China extends loan to Botswana for rail and road infrastructure and in sports news, South Africa held to a goalless draw by Libya in Afghan qualifier. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. South Africa's ruling ANC is calling on the Sunday Times newspaper to retract its report claiming that a number of party leaders attended a secret meeting to discuss ways in which they could overturn the result of last year's NASRA conference and oust President Cyril Ramaphosa. The report claims that the meeting was led by former President Jacob Zuma and that those who attended include the party secretary general Ace Mahashul former Northwest, Pre- Northwest Premier Supra Maumapilu and ANC Youth League Secretary and KwaZulu-Natal Province Tandukolo Sabelo. Sabelo has also demanded an investigation to clear his name. Any plot to oust the president of the ANC, Comrade Sarah Ramaphosa. This is a very funny reporting from the journalist because, indeed, I am a resident of Deben and I was on the precinct of the hotel, not inside the hotel, speaking to the Secretary General. And then a journalist from the Sunday Times came and he asked, were you having a meeting with the former president of the Republic? And the Secretary General replied and said no. And I said no, I've just arrived here now. Now they went on to write such a story. I would definitely support an investigation into this matter. Sudan's President Umar al-Bashir has sacked the country's 31-member cabinet and appointed a new prime minister. Bashir's decision to fire the entire government was approved by top leaders of his ruling National Congress party at a late-night meeting. The decision to form a new government comes as Sudan faces a growing economic crisis led by an acute shortage of foreign currency and surging inflation of more than 65%. Mutaz Musa Abdallah, who was the irrigation minister in the outgoing cabinet, is the new prime minister, while Bakri Hassan Sela will continue to be the first vice president. Bashir also appointed Muhammad Osman Yusuf Kabir as the vice president. The army in Nigeria says it's back in control of the northeastern town of Kudambali. This after it was seized by militant group Boko Haram on Friday. Dozens of militants disguised in military uniforms are reported to have shot their way into the town, sending thousands of civilians fleeing from their homes. The BBC's Mayeni Jones reports. 
The attack on Gudumbali is another sign that the ongoing battle to control territory between Boko Haram and the Nigerian military is heating up. The army denies there were any casualties in Friday's attack, but eyewitnesses have told the Reuters and the AFP news agencies some people were killed, although how many is still unclear. Some internally displaced people had returned to Gudumbali in June, following claims by the military the area was safe. The army says the returns were voluntary, but Reuters claims officials cut off aid to those who refused to go. Rebel leader Bahano Nega in Ethiopia says his group Jinbot 7 wants to compete peacefully in the country's next elections. Nega returned home on Sunday after more than a decade in exile. His return was sparked by widespread political reforms by Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. His group was once banned in Ethiopia but was since removed from that list after it said it was abandoning an armed rebellion in favor of change through politics. Speaking to the BBC, Nega says the ruling party is moving Ethiopia towards democracy. I think there is a significant change taking place. It's not yet complete, but at least the people in power now seem to be totally committed. The only road ahead for this country is to be democratic and that they're willing to do what it takes to achieve this democratic politics. And finally, United Nations Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet has urged Egypt's appeals court to overturn mass death sentences handed down by a lower court. The former Chilean president who took office as UN High Commissioner for Human Rights last week criticized a law giving immunity from future prosecution to senior military officers. And Egyptian court on Saturday delivered death sentences to 75 people, including prominent Islamist leaders Issam al Erein and Muhammad Baltagi over a 2013-13 that ended with security forces killing hundreds of protesters. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The UN has renewed support for stability and resilient efforts to take and battle Lake Chad Basin out of crisis and to put it on the path to sustainable development. This came out of a week-long conference on the validation and adoption of the regional strategy on stabilization of Boko Haram-affected areas of the Lake Chad region. The UN said the resilience of the Boko Haram group in the Lake Chad Basin since 2009 posed enormous security, humanitarian and governance challenges. Channel Africa's Collins Nosa Atuhengbe reports from Lagos. The conference dwelt mostly on the issues of consolidation in the areas which have been liberated from insurgents and the need to give attention to the safety of people once the area transits from the military to civilian authorities. The United Nations Development Program, UNDP, Lecture Development Commission, the Economic Committee of West African States and African Union were unanimous in demanding safety of aid workers and the need to commit funds towards the provision of necessary amenities to the liberated areas. As the military begin to withdraw its presence for civilian authorities to take over the administration of the affected areas. At the end of the week-long conference, the Secretary-General of the Lake Child Development Commission, Maman Nuhu, said 
consideration was given to security and human rights issues that will make the administration of the affected areas possible and easier considering that the military will not always be present once durable peace is achieved. The first pillar of this strategy is security and human rights pillar, which cuts across all other pillars. The transition from military presence in the affected areas to that of civil police, as well as the roles of the civilian joint task force, are central to the success or otherwise of the strategy. Water management, which is key to the success of social activities by affected communities in West Africa, was discussed at length. Considering the importance of this in the adoption of the strategies by the conference, the Nigerian Permanent Secretary in the Ministry of Water Resources, Musa Ibrahim, said adopting a regional stabilization protocol was meant to help curtail the activities of insurgents if the strategies adopted are to succeed. The formulation of a regional stabilization strategy was born out of the need to develop a framework to curtail the mayhem and ravaging activities of the Boko Haram insurgents to uphold human rights principles and protect lives and properties, especially of the most vulnerable. The African Union, which threw its weight behind the adoption of the sustainers and stabilization strategies, said it is in support of the protocol as adopted and thanked the United Nations for the support received in achieving the purpose of the conference and the commitment of resources towards the stabilization of the communities in the region. Here is Hadiza Mustafa of the African Union. We give our full support to this process and we look forward to its validation and to its signing. For us it is very, very important as part of our prevention, uh, conflict prevention and conflict management for us to have this strategy and we really thank our partnership with the United Nations uh, in this. With the commitment of human and material resources to efforts aimed at stamping out insurgents comes the hazard of the job and in this case the kidnapping of aid workers by the insurgent Boko Haram sect which precipitated the trouble in the region. In this regard, the coordinator of the United Nations Humanitarian Activities in Nigeria, Edward Callon, made a passionate appeal to Nigeria and other stakeholders to ensure the safety of humanitarian workers and the release of those still in captivity. The United Nations condemns the killing and adoption of aid workers and urge parties to the conflict to enable the work of humanitarian workers and facilitate their access to people in need in line with international humanitarian law. The United Nations also calls for the release of the aid workers who have been adopted in Northeast Nigeria. I call on Nigerian leaders to do everything in their power to protect the people caught up in conflict and all who are concerned to join our campaign to show that civilians are harsh, not a target. Together, we stand with the government of Nigeria in solidarity with civilians in conflict and with the humanitarian workers who risk their lives to help them. With the adoption of the stabilization program and protocol, there is hope that restoration of the usual daily life activities of returnees to affected communities will not suffer lack. What may not be predictable, however, is the level of preparedness of the governments of the affected regional communities to commit adequate funds for the implementation of strategies because of the myriads of other contending issues in the face of poor economic responses and paucity of funds. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nusa Atohimbe for Channel Africa News. 
Perpetrators behind the killing of nine mostly female civilians displaced by conflict in the Central African Republic must be brought to justice. That's according to the UN peacekeeping operation in the country. The mission, known by the French acronym MINUSCA, has strongly condemned the incident which occurred last Thursday in the town of Bria. Spokesperson for the mission, Vladimir Montero, brings us up to speed with the developments. Well, in the last week, Bria, uh, which is a city located in the center of uh, center east of uh, Central African Republic, has been um, affected by clashes between Exereka FPRC and uh, Antibalaka armed element. And it is uh, within this context that nine civilians, the majority of them women, were abducted by uh, armed elements presumed FPRC and, and killed yesterday. Today, the um, IDPs, the internal people from uh, Bria, Gaza, in front of Minuska camp, demonstrating, throwing grenades, because they thought Minuska is not providing enough, enough protection. We met with uh, their representatives, uh, and Minuska has uh, reinforced uh, patrols in, in, in town, at the same time, the UN police will uh, start investigating to find out who is behind uh, this hideous crime and uh, bring uh, these elements to, to, to justice. The situation is calm uh, at this precise moment, but Bria is uh, facing some tension in the last days, and our office there, the peacekeepers from the force and the police are also um, trying to to work with the local authorities and make sure that civilian population is protected. Now, these nine IDPs were abducted from the camp or they were outside the premises and the protection of the mission? They were abducted outside of the um, IDP camp. They were on their way to, to perform agric- their agriculture stuff. And it's at, um, at this precise moment that they were uh, kidnapped by armed uh, elements. So what is it that the population was protesting then? Well, you know, in some um, parts of Central African Republic, as a result of uh, manipulation, people uh, think that MINUSCA is not providing enough protection for civilians, which is uh, not correct because currently we are engaged in a three military operation in, in the West, Pawa, near Berberati against armed groups, but also we reinforced our presence in the east of the country, Bangasu, and even the number of uh, peacekeepers has been increased following a resolution by the Security Council. We try to adapt to better response, but the situation to the crisis is not only through the use of force, it's also related to the dialogue, and uh, tonight we also urge the groups, the armed groups in, in Bria, but uh, elsewhere in the country, to put an end to violence. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism. 
That's Vladimir Montero, spokesperson of the Central African Republic UN peacekeeping mission, MINUSCA, speaking to UN Radio's Christina Silviero. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Tosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. A group of Ugandan legislators have petitioned the Supreme Court to overturn a lower court decision that upheld a constitutional amendment allowing long-serving leader Yoweri Museveni to seek re-election. Parliament, which is controlled by the ruling party, voted overwhelmingly in December to scrap an age limit of 75 for presidential candidates. The original original legislation would have effectively ruled out 73-year-old Museveni from standing in the next election's Due in 2021. Opponents of Museveni, including lawmakers and individual opposition activists, mounted a legal challenge to the amendment, but the Constitutional Court rejected it in July. Channel Africa's Kumbele Mongelele spoke to Ladislas Rokafuzi, a lawyer from six lawmakers opposed to the amendment. When you want to achieve what you heard to achieve in the petition, want to achieve on appeal what you heard in the petition. In the petition, uh, the judges of the constitutional court found that the, uh, our petition was not proper uh, in relation to the intimacy issue, and they therefore did not grant uh, the cancellation of the amendment. The announcement of the amendment to the constitution to allow the president to So because of that, Now you are saying that uh, the lawmakers had been bribed before the vote and that insufficient public consultations had been held. You also are saying that soldiers have ejected some members of parliament uh, from the chamber during the debate. Um, How confident are you that the Supreme Court of Appeal will rule in your favor? Well, we are engaging all the institutions. We are getting all the institutions that are available uh, to help the country uh, manage a transition, uh, a peaceful transition between Museveni to another leader. And uh, this appeal is just one of, of those things we need to do. And the man has been around for too long. Uh, it may be not very easy to use the systems to, to manage a peaceful transition. It is very difficult. We are under no illusion that when is the Supreme Court going to hear your petition, Mr. Rafikazi? Well, it is not the date not yet given, but uh, I'm sure at the end of this year uh, the, the petition will have been heard and they, and they concluded. Do you think this is what ordinary Ugandans want? Are you getting any support from ordinary Ugandans? Actually, the ordinary person uh, is very much uh, interested in the same transition. Uh, the effect of, uh, of uh, the amendment to the constitution is to make President Museveni a rule Uganda still results uh, a much base or something. So that, that is not good for the country, it's not good for the economy, it's not good. So because of that, we want a peaceful transition, we want to be 
That's uh, Ladislaus Rakafuzi, Ugandan lawyer representing six lawyers challenging the constitutional amendment which allows President Yoweri Museveni to seek re-election, speaking to Kumbele Mujelele. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa, leading the Women's Month conversations. South African farmers organization AgriSA stands firm on its decision that it will not support any amendment of Section 25 of the Constitution. The organization held a meeting with South Africa's governing ANC delegation around the issue of expropriation of land without compensation, a meeting that both delegations described as frank, robust and cordial, Balitetani reports. The ANC and AgriSA met in Centurion to see consensus on the current debate around land reform. Both parties agreed on the need to look into the matter of land expropriation without talking past each other. They both emphasized the importance of finding each other in the dialogue. On its side, the ANC said it listened carefully on the concerns of AgriSA and ensured them that expropriation of land without compensation will happen in an orderly manner. The ANC's head of elections, Figi Lembalula. The ANC is encouraged by the spirit of cooperation from the farming community. We believe only through dialogue can sustainable solution to the most difficult questions be found. The ANC is particularly interested in creating an inclusive economy. Land is a key part of the economy. AgriSA President Dan Creek lamented the fact that the meeting was a huge privilege for the farming community to engage with the ruling party. For AgriSA today it was a huge privilege uh, having senior members of the ANC addressing the farmers. We had a huge audience. We had 200 people from all sectors of, of uh, the agricultural sector. It is extremely important for us. Mr. Mbalula is the head of elections. Mr. Gudongwana is the head of the Economic Transformation Committee of the ANC, which is at the head of policy level. And we have Mr. Ronald Lamola, who is going to head up from their side the whole expropriation debate. So these are extremely uh, important uh, people in our lives, uh, and we were honored to, to have them here and to have them listen to the farmers. But Greek told the briefing that AgriSA could not move from its decision against invoking Section 25 of the Constitution to allow it to expropriate land. The audience, audience sitting in front of you does not agree that we should change the Bill of Rights and Article 25 and do expropriation without compensation. And this is what I'm taking up my rights, like you and every other South African, I want to enhance and give those rights to people who, not, who have not had them and who we will give it to. And I will afford everybody the same rights. 
But the ANC's Ronald Lamula was also at ease to give assurances that property rights will not be affected. Putting an expropriation law, it does not threaten property rights in any way. All countries in the world, including the most advanced uh, democracies like U.S., America, any country in the world has got an expropriation clause for, for, to enable countries to deal with public people's issues, building schools and so forth, but also where there are issues of land reform like India and uh, other countries, there is uh, public interest expropriation clauses. So an expropriation regime is not a threat to property as long as due process is followed. Even in countries where, like China, they also have an expropriation law which put the due process under which they are going to expropriate uh, in certain defined circumstances. So this is a universally accepted uh, principle or instrument to, 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 to deal with the, the property or the land. Meanwhile, the ANC's Inokodongwana told farmers that each case will be treated differently. We are not saying tomorrow everybody, when you wake up, including yourself, you will not have a tightly house. You will nationalize all of, all of a sudden when you wake up, the land belongs to the state. That's an EFF position, it's not ours. Okay. We're not nationals. We're saying we will expropriate property for redistribution. That must be clear. When we take your property, we've already identified what its purpose will be for public purposes. We'll expropriate that property. We then say, in certain circumstances, we will not pay compensation. We're not saying in all circumstances will not pay compensation. We'll say in certain circumstances, we'll not pay compensation. But there was another view around the issue of private partnership, AgriSA CEO Omri Fansail. With the departments in, in government that, that is not functioning uh, the way they should, we want to propose a public-private partnerships that we can actually help with extension services, market development. We need to uh, give title to land um, that is in government uh, possession at the moment because that way we can unlock the capital that sits in the private sector. We need to develop, uh, get a development fund um, up and running. We currently don't have one in South Africa. That would fuel a lot of the transformation initiatives that we have. We have um, 110,000 farmers that we work with in a, on a development basis every day um, through our commodities or through our commodity organisations. We need to capitalise those farmers. We have hundreds of projects that we can capitalise. There was consensus between the two parties that this was the beginning of an open-minded process of engagement clarifying that nationalization will never happen, but expropriation of land without compensation will be done in an orderly way. Ambali Tetani in Centurion in Pretoria. Over 900 foreign nationals have officially been sworn in as South African citizens. Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba welcomed the 923 new citizens who packed the Birchwood Hotel Conference Hall in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. They received naturalization certificates conferred on them by Deputy Judge President of the Pretoria High Court, They then publicly pledged their loyalty and commitment to the Republic of South Africa. Wisani Makubele reports. 
Gabriel Ngwesi, originally from Gabon, has been in South Africa for 17 years. He arrived in Johannesburg in May 2001 to study at Vets University. He received a bursary to study in either the U.S., Canada or Johannesburg, and he chose to remain on the continent. He still remembers his first impression of the country when he arrived almost two decades ago. Let me be honest with you, one of the first racist countries I've seen. A week after I arrived, I got locked by uh, white police in Northcliffe, where I was staying. Actually, not didn't lock me up, but they locked me against the wall because there was a black man walking in the area, not knowing that my house was there. So that was our first impression. But a beautiful country with good people. What also fascinated Ngwesi about South Africa was the multiplicity of languages as well as music videos of Kwaito songs he used to watch while still living in Gabon. He says he never wanted to cut corners in becoming a naturalized South African and was patient enough to follow the correct processes after applying for citizenship in 2014. It has been a long time waiting, a beautiful day. It means to me that officially I can now serve the nation as mine, as I used to serve Gabon and as I serve Gabon. I can now openly serve South Africa as being proud of being South African. The 45-year-old says with the level of education he has, he can work anywhere in the world. He cites an example of declining a job offer in Hong Kong while doing his MBA advert because he does not want to leave the continent. Ngwesi has acquired different qualifications during his stay in the country and is now currently doing his PhD in business administration. He's a strategic negotiator. He negotiates and facilitates deals on the continent. His other work includes being a life coach. Ngwesi says nothing much has changed since he first landed in Johannesburg, except that the economy is on the deadline. We need to wake up as South Africans. I think it's about time South Africans start investing in the rest of the continent to be able to move more South Africans, local, into the continent to get work on the project that we have initiated instead of letting the Chinese and the Indian and the Brazilian onto, onto the continent. South Africa should now start initiating projects on the continent, employ more South Africans who are local. I did employ South Africa, almost 20, 30 South African in project in Gabon, the economic zone of Gabon that we electrified. And it was a pleasure having all the Andile and all these guys in Gabon for two or three years. Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba has appealed to Ngwesi and the other 922 who received their certificates of naturalization to participate in the country fully as citizens. From this day forward, you are part of this project. You are full South African citizens and we encourage you to bear this status with pride. I encourage you to take full part in society, learn our history, our customs, our diverse languages, and make them your own. Share with us your own histories, the diverse languages you bring to our country, your customs, and continue to enrich the diversity of our country. Gigaba believes the country can benefit from international migration if the matter is handled properly. International migration has become a prominent moral, political, economic and social issue. In South Africa, we have articulated the view that international migration is a natural human phenomenon which can benefit our development, nation building and social cohesion if managed very well. When other countries are closing up and becoming resentful of immigrants, South Africa on the other hand, appreciates the importance of human connections and diversity. The chairperson of Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs, Patrick Jaoge, also attended the event. Jaoge commended the group for respecting the laws of the country by following due process. I'm Wissani Makubele in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with San Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, South Africa's ruling ANC says the only thing a front page report in the Sunday Times newspaper proves is that the safety of the party's leaders are at risk. The report claims former President Jacob Zuma met with top ANC officials to discuss a plot to oust President Cyril Ramaphosa. Sudanese President Umar al-Bashir sacks the country's 31-member cabinet and appoints a new prime minister. And the army in Nigeria says it's back in control of the northeastern town of Gudambali after it was seized by, uh, by militant group Boko Haram on Friday. Those are the stories making headlines. A coalition DRC civil society group has expressed concern over the political situation in the country as it prepares for December presidential elections. The Congolese Coalition for Transition, well known as CCT, believes a transition without President Joseph Kabila is the only way to ensure peace in the country. Januel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The Congolese Coalition for Transition has expressed the big concerns about the social situation people are facing here in the Democratic Republic of Congo and believes only good elections can still allow to bring about a change for people living in this country. At a press conference on weekend here in Kinshasa, this coalition of different civil movements described President Joseph Kabila's regime as a corrupted one, a regime that's not ready to organize a transparent and credible elections. The pro-democracy activists believe opposition, which is part of the electoral process, is just behind a presidential poll, while it's well known that the winner is the candidate from the ruling coalition, Emmanuel Ramazani Shadari. That's why a transition without a president, Joseph Kabila, is needed to help organize a credible and peaceful election here. And among the civil movements members of the CCT is the Civil Engagement for Change. The movement permanent secretary, Fred Chinano, believes there is nothing normal here. We are in the country which is anormal now because of the institution which is not functioning really. That's why we decided today to say to the world that we don't need the authority which is in the power. Now we need a good election. President Kabila don't need good election because he take all institution in his hand. Any constitutional court, he take it in his hand. That's why we say with this man we will not have the good election that the people need. That's why today we make this statement about the way of doing things of our government. And among the issues mentioned in the statement the Congolese Coalition for Transition has made is the social situation here. The CCT believes that President Joseph Kabila's regime has failed to solve the different problems of people of the Congo. And according to the Permanent Secretary of the Civil Engagement for Change, only Congolese have to come together and join serious actions to kick the current power out and organize good elections. Once more, Fred Chinano explains. You know, people have many problems this government is not able to do for us we now tell it to everyone so that together we can put this power out and organize good election 
That's what people need. People have many problems. We are defining the problem of people. The government don't do things that is needed by the people. The serious actions the Congolese Coalition for Transition has called on people to join is an initiative supported by many. That's indeed what different pro-democracy activists believe. One of the activists told the Channel Africa most of people need change here in the Democratic Republic of Congo since they are sick and tired of the current regime that doesn't even take care of them. Marie Joel a symbol. We are 99% who need change here in DRC. 99% who need to change our lifestyle, our political system. We are 99% who need good life. We need to refund our state. For that we have people. Because it's people who shall govern. People is a leader, and people must be the real guide for any political person. We don't have political system work for people to have a good lifestyle. That's why we need this transition. It's important because people is sick. People suffer of everything. These people suffer from jobless, good health. There is many things. That's why we decide to put the system out. On the other side, the Congolese Coalition for Transition believes the independent National Electoral Commission has to be restructured since it's working for both President Joseph Kabila and his ruling coalition. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Zimbabwe's President Emerson Nangagwa has announced his new cabinet comprising of technocrats and new faces from his ruling ZANU-PF. It's a lean cabinet of 20 ministers, but the focus is on the finance minister, Professor Mtuli Ngube, and Dr. Obadia Moyo as health minister. While some citizens feel these technocrats would help revamp the economy, others believe the ZANU-PF policies remain the same and no major changes would take place. Simon Chema reports from Bulawayo. The following as cabinet ministers. Minister of Finance and Economic Development, Professor Tuli Nguyen. Ministry, Minister of Defense and War Veterans, Honorable Opal Pangem Chinguri Kashiri. Local Government, Public Works and National Housing, Honorable July G. Moyo. Foreign Affairs and International Trade, Honorable Subusiso B. Moyo. Public Service Labor and Social Welfare, Honorable Sekesai Zenza. That was the voice of Dr. Mishek Sibanda, the Chief Secretary in the Office of the President in Zimbabwe during the announcement of a new cabinet. The 20 member cabinet is the smallest ever since independence in 1980. It's a cabinet with new and young blood with most of the old guards dropped. Of interest was the appointment of a professional banker and economist, Professor Mtulingwe, as finance minister at a time when the country requires new brains to turn around the economy. A viable economy can only be achieved if primary health care is quality and affordable, hence the coming in of a health expert, Dr. Obedaya Moyo. Mnangagwa increased the number of females in his cabinet with Opam Chinguri lending the most powerful post of Minister of Defense. This will be first time 
for such a portfolio to be headed by a woman, noting the exing of some of the alleged corrupt ministers like Obetimpofu, experts have expressed confidence in the new administration. However, Zimbabweans have expressed mixed feelings with some saying Zanupef policies would determine the success or failure of the new cabinet while some feel there is an improvement. Channel Africa caught up with Ngabuto Mabena, president of a Labour Zimbabwe Communist Party, who had this to say. The question that we are confronted with is that can a former liberation movement in this part of the reformation in our previous statements we've already spoken that uh, it is not a reforming to advance the interest of the working class but it is a reforming to restore give the relationship with the international community particularly for example we'll realize that a new relationship is being fostered between the Islamic people, the party and the conservative part of the project we characterize our economy as that of a militaristic capitalism. If you go through their manifesto, two things which come up. Restore legitimacy with the international financial institutions. Return Zimbabwe to the common. While the technocrats have called been appointed into capital. As communists, we do not judge them whether they are technocrats or not. We judge them in terms of their just current. The policy that they pursue. While Zimbabweans are divided over the cabinet announcement, it is not a secret the first challenge Mnangagwa and his team faces is the economy, industrial capitalization and cash challenges. While agriculture was steadily improving over the years, droughts and input shortages could hinder meaningful success. Tourism remains the key pillar of a possible economic turnaround, but with corruption and wildlife plunder, investors could soon shy away. However, the Zimbabwe Communist Party leader feels new ideas from the cabinet that excludes the notion of job creation and improved the welfare of workers would easily be resisted. Why the Minister of Finance included Professor but we do not believe in the thing that Professor Nube can depart from the script uh, which was authored by Bernard Chibero in introducing neoliberal reforms in 1991, which led to the economic meltdown in 1991 after this day. Yes, all that some have been removed, but we judge them in terms of their just talent. And as well said, in terms of the manifesto of the they are pursuing a neoliberal agenda. They will have good relationships with Britain and the rest of the international community. But uh, yes, we need to rebuild our economy. Our fear is that the economy might be through together. President Emerson Mnangagwa is expected to swear in the new ministers and their deputies on Monday. In Arare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati.
on Channel Africa from an African perspective. The South African National Park Sandparks has launched a 13th annual campaign to grant free day access to national parks for South Africans from September the 10th to the 14th. The launch was held at the Kruger National Park in Limbobo province on Sunday. The, the week gives day visitors free access to most of the 21 national parks with special emphasis on ensuring that people from local communities close to parks can get to know and experience a national park. Jabulani Baloi has more. The locals using their IDs will be allowed free interest into all sun parks, 21 parks around the country. The annual open week is aimed at cultivating a sense of pride in the country's natural, cultural and historical heritage. Small businesses are also expected to rake in profits. Messi John has been selling bidworks at the Kruger National Park's Palabra Gate for almost three decades. She's pinning her hopes that the annual free week will bring positive spin-offs. Some of them, they just come and look and go. Some of them, they just come and buy a little bit, some cheapest things, because our things is not so expensive. I'm going to buy bread for my kids and buy everything they want. The local economy is also expected to boom, but Palabra Municipality Mayor Puleshayi encourages the locals to make use of the opportunity. Now we are humbled that uh, it brings an opportunity to jumpstart the local economy in more ways than one. Also because we are just some few kilos into Mozambique through the Griondo Road. Some of the visitors expected to make use of the open week are those who are forcefully removed from their ancestral land to make way for the establishment of the park. Sun Park CEO Fundisilim Ketini says the people will get a chance to reunite with their ancestors. The history of conservation as a whole is not a good one because there is a history of eviction, history of removing people from their homesteads. Therefore, this week opens up that opportunity. Although it's always there, whereby you pay for it. But this week, we say, it's Mahala, come in, come in numbers, come enjoy and connect what belongs to you. The free week ends on Friday. I'm Chablan Baloyi in Palabora. Our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoko. Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. The African Development Bank and the MCB Capital Markets, a member of the Mauritius Commercial Bank, are launching the African Domestic Bond Fund, the first multi-jurisdictional sovereign fixed income exchange traded fund on the African continent. This launch includes opportunities to learn more about African capital markets. The African Development Bank will be officially listed on the stock exchange of Mauritius and start trading on September the 18th. Botswana's President Mukwiti Masisi says China has agreed to extend a loan to Botswana for rail and road infrastructure as well as writing off some debt. Speaking on his return from the China-Africa Forum in Beijing, Masisi said Botswana had made a pitch to China and is happy to report that. China has also offered Botswana a 31 million US dollar grant. The president says Botswana has become a little bit more, rather, says Botswana has become a little bit more than just the loan.
South Africa's plans to change as a constitution to allow the expropriation of land without compensation could hit property prices and trigger a banking crisis. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced in August that the ruling ANC planned to change the constitution to allow land to be expropriated without compensation as whites still own most of South Africa's territory. Speaking to the Constitutional Review Committee, which is investigating proposed changes to the Constitution, the CEO of South Africa's largest bank, NetBank, Mike Brown, said there was no need to alter the law because the existing legislation already allows the state to expropriate property for land reform purposes. Egyptian Prime Minister Mustafa Madboli says that the country's foreign debt rose to 92.6 billion US dollars at the close of the financial year in June, up from 88.2 billion dollars at end March. The debt made up 37.2% of the country's gross domestic product at the end of 2017-18 fiscal year. Egypt's fiscal year begins in July and ends in June. Namibia's Ministry of Mines and Energy has announced the commencement of the drilling of the Comorant One Well by Tula Oil on the Namibian offshore site at Vulvas Bay. The well will test the oil potential of Namibia, during which Namibia will be actively participating and monitoring the drilling campaign. The ministry says that the drilling and evaluation of the well is expected to take about 34 days and the drilling results will be announced upon completion. The U.S. dollar trades at 10.74 Botswana Pula. It's at 10.23 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 4.6 Brazilian Rill, at 69.73 Russian Ruble, and at 71.94 Indian Rupee. 6.84 Chinese Yuan, 15.22 to the South African Rand. 77 pence to the British Pound, 86 cents to the Euro. Finally, looking at commodities markets now, gold trades at $1,193. Platinum is at $775 per ounce. So the price of brand crude oil is at $77.30 a barrel. From an African perspective, I'm Tabiso Lohoku on Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we're looking at the athletics. Casta Simenia has yet another 800-meter title behind her name. She representing Africa in the IAAF Continental Cup. Simia raised to a victory in the women's 800-meter event, stopping the clock in a time of 1 minute 54.77 seconds. She was followed home by Aji Wilson, USA, who finished in 1 minute 57.16 seconds, and Natoya Goli of Jamaica, who finished third in 1 minute 57 0.36 seconds. Both athletes represented the Americas at the competition, the format of which she the sea continent racing against continent. Semenya is now unbeaten for three years in the 800-meter event, winning the 2016 Olympic title as well as the World Championship in 2017 in the process. Semenya to take a tablet to lower her natural occurring testosterone levels. These rules are to be introduced later in the year and would require her to do that. 
Proteas women's team captain Dane Fanikerk has called on his team to be more consistent in being able to amass big scores and in chasing them down if they are to be a force in world cricket. Fanikerk acknowledges that consistency will come from good preparation and mental toughness. The Proteas leave for their three-match one-day international and five-match T20 tour of the West Indies and will serve as a dress rehearsal for the Women's World T20 Championship in November, which will also be played in the Caribbean. Our consistency is the word. Uh, we need to be more consistent. I think I've said that a million times. Um, but that, that is, at the end of the day, the key for us. We need to be more consistent. And it just comes down to preparation and mental toughness. Um, we have to be prepared to to chase 180 and, and feel comfortable doing it because that is where the game is going. Um, so, yeah, we just... It's drawing board, I guess. Drawing board, drawing board, and we need to get our plans going and we need to adapt as well. You know, we can't say, oh, there's four out. At the end of the day, that's what we're going to play with and we need to adapt and get our plans spot on. I just think the margin for error just shifted a lot and got a lot smaller. Veteran Proteas Trisha Treti and Sabmim Ismail will no longer be touring with the side after Chetty suffered a lower back injury and Ismail pulled out due to a family responsibility. The Proteas, though, will spot new faces in Chetty's replacement in 19-year-old Faye Tanikliff and National Academy graduates Dumis Kukuni, Robin Sill and Sarah Smith. Fanigerk believes the debutants will thrive on the international stage and will also create healthy competition within the team. I know that the three debutants are well deserved. Um, they've done really well in provincial cricket. Um, very exciting young players, and I'm just excited to see what they can do. You know, you never know what they can do given the opportunity. And I think the international stage brings out the best in people. And um, you know, we see them on domestic level, but to see them on the big stage would be very exciting for us. And hopefully, you know, they can make a mark and, and really push for for a spot within the side, within the eleven, and, and push some some of the seniors as well. We we want some healthy comp- competition within the side and. You know, these three youngsters are definitely a very healthy comp- competition for the players or the, the, the outside the seniors. On to tennis news, Women's Tennis Association, where WTA tour chief executive Steve Simon has backed Serena Williams' claim that sexism played a role in the code violation that sparked her U.S. Open final meltdown. Williams was handed three code violations and docked a point and then a game in a 6-2, 6-4 loss to Naomi Osaka in the Flushing Meadows final. Osaka outplayed her childhood hero to become the first Japanese player to win the Grand Slam, but her accomplishment was swamped in the controversy surrounding 23-time Grand Slam champion Williams. The American superstar claimed that chair umpire Carlos Ramos meted out penalties for infractions that male players could have gotten away with. Meanwhile, Novak Djokovic was thrilled to match Pete Sampras with 14 Grand Slam title at the US Open last night. But he said it's Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal who have made him the player he is. The victory puts Djokovic's three slam wins away from Nadal's 17 and six behind Federer's record 20. It will also see him rise to number three in the world behind Nadal and Federer. The rankings again reflecting the big three status they have shared for so long. Djokovic has stumbled down the rankings slowed last year by an elbow injury and a loss of confidence that com- accompanied a 54-week title drought. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. <laughs> 
Afrika Zola Afrika amka na unai Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN welcomes efforts to bring stability in the Lake Trad region and police investigate the killing of displaced people in the Central African Republic. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzora Magadza and Khomuzomo Pulane, technical producer Murray Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Zama Jobe with a song titled Norma.